This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Our guest today is Jillian Manis, Managing Partner at Structure Capital. Jillian, thank you so much for joining us on Knowledge at Wharton. My pleasure. Now, uh, last month, Fast Company magazine wrote an article about two women entrepreneurs who invented a fake male co-founder to avoid sexist discrimination. Now, this may have been an extreme solution, but how common is this problem of discrimination? And do you think it's more acute in tech companies than it, than it is in other fields? Uh, well, first of all, I, th- I think that any type of duplicity in the workplace is never a good solution. So although I understand the their thought around this, I think that it, the execution was probably not a good idea because this entire, every single business is built on trust and this is not the way to earn it by creating uh, any fake anything, whether it be fake news in the country, fake information on any level. So I believe that that was not the right solution. Do we have a solution? Not yet. Uh, We have all taken steps in the community to create as much transparency and accountability around this, uh, around bad behavior. But I don't think that we have a solution yet. And I think that uh, what I would like to see is more venture capitalists tying good behavior and this awareness and inclusiveness into their investment uh, requirements. Mm -hmm. So are we going to get to systemic change from the bottom, from the top down in terms of these larger corporations? I don't really believe we are going to get to that 100% and perhaps even 50%. But what I'd like to do and what I hope that venture capitalists will do and others is to make this part of the term sheet where we ask companies that they create an inclusive environment, a diverse environment. We put together uh, what that look, what that model looks like. And then we start really asking and looking at the culture that is being created from the very early stage, because I'm an early stage uh, investor. Our fund is uh, seed in Series A. And we have conversations, presently I have conversations with our founders around how they're creating an inclusive, diverse culture. And so that these small, these companies will actually be the larger companies for generations to come. And that's the way that I believe we're going to create this systemic change. Can we do it overnight? No. Can we do it by creating fake, you know, generating fake information? No. Um, And is the problem what you asked um, acute, you know, it is acute in other fields? Absolutely. I've been in the publishing field. I have been in banking I've been in media, and I have received this all my life. Mm. The fact now is that there are higher levels of communication, um, social media, obviously, 
which has been able to push out uh, or create more transparency because now everyone is, all eyes are on everyone under a microscope and we're able to unite to create more transparency. Well, that's interesting. When you look at it from the, the, the perspective of being in Silicon Valley or the Bay Area, do you think things are getting better or worse for women in leadership and, and why? So um, I, as most women in Silicon Valley know, uh, and even on the East Coast, I have a, a mechanism for women to reach out to me. It is an SOS called an SOS text. So any woman, no matter if I know them or not, can text me SOS followed by an immediate need for uh, information or for action for and uh, their problem. So I'm, I have been watching this for the past year and before, and these are women in leadership positions as well as women, female, young female founders. These are people in management, in corporations, to uh, women uh, VCs. And so there, this is at every level and every, both horizontally as well as vertically, uh, different dissections of, of women in uh, the Silicon Valley. Uh, And what I'm finding is, unfortunately, as on one hand, this is getting better in terms of more accountability of bad behavior. And by the way, it's not only bad behavior by men, it's bad behavior by women as well, in terms of not providing mentoring and actually trying to undermine other women. So I, I... feel that it's important for us to understand, and it's not just women, it's obviously it's minorities, it's, it is bad behavior across the, across the horizon. Is it, I believe in many cases this is getting worse, and I'll tell you why. On one hand, we've created more accountability, as I've said, and more transparency, but I think that the pendulum has now swung so far the other way that I hear many women the SOSs that I'm receiving are I, I'm in a large corporation and now I'm being left out of meetings because mm. men are saying we, uh, comrades, people who were comrades before are saying we feel uncomfortable because having you now in meetings and conferring with you because we feel that we might say something wrong, do something wrong, and then be accused. Uh, and lose our job. And so, uh, and I'm hearing from female founders that VCs are now taking less meetings with women because they're afraid they're, they're going to do or say something badly. Now, on one hand, you could say, well, this is now adding a layer of justification for exclusion. Right. Using, right? And on the other hand, I have talked to men who I respect who are saying to me, Jillian, I absolutely, you know, I, I do want to work with women. I, we've always had a collaborative community in our companies, but there is a tremendous amount of fear from guys who are saying, I, I don't know if I'm going to say something wrong. And, 
I don't know what I'm saying, and I don't know how it's going to be taken, and I don't know if I'm going to be accused of harassment. I don't. So it has now created another layer of fear. So how do you respond? Exclusion. How do you respond to the SOSs, and what advice do you give people who who have who have who have such fear? I, I give a lot of advice. I actually have more concrete advice um, for women in terms of sexual harassment. I have five very specific sort of tools. I created a tool box in terms of harassment, uh, margin of being just basically marginalized to actually being bullied and harassed. And I'm happy to go into how I uh, how I do. Um, advise them on on this topic and these new SOSs, and and even from men I'm I'm working with, I say then don't say anything to a woman that you would not say to a man. Mm. Okay, that's sort of a broad stroke, but that seems to maybe encompass eighty percent. So start there, and then with the 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 women. I'm saying to them, sit down and have a conversation. And that actually is something that I brought up to Bruce Oust, who is the vice president of NASDAQ recently. We had lunch, and I was talking to him because I'm speaking at the conference. But I said, Bruce, one of the the, uh, missions that we all should be, one of the objectives now, is to create collaborative uh, uh, communities within uh, within these workplaces, whether they're small or large, we need now to take this pendulum, bring it back to the middle, and teach men and women how better to communicate with each other, uh, not just to accuse each other. We can't it not to fear each other, but how do we create that dialogue? What needs to be said? How better to say it? because this is not going to help us if we are fearful of each other. Right. And so I think that's part of the, the uh, roadmap forward. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, I think the, the, some of these issues have been around for a while. Uh, there's a lot of research that shows that women tend to drop out of corporate life at various stages, for different reasons, when they're in their 20s or in their mid-30s to 40s, but also when they're in senior roles in their 40s and 50s. Uh, do you have a sense of what companies should do to support a strong pipeline of women leaders at each of these different stages? Yes. I. Well, there are several. The most obvious is flexible hours enabling women to work from home some maybe a day of week, a week, um, as well as, I hate to say this, but we, we still have a lack of equity around pay. And so women feel that they're always being marginalized. They're doing equal and sometimes even more work than men, but they're not getting the same type of compensation. And so just creating a, a respect around that would help. In terms of retaining uh, I know many men who won't hire women because they're going to drop out to have children. Mm. And I think that's a cop-out. I think that's a cop-out. And I think there is ways for women, as I said, 
that many companies are working with women and enabling them to stay home certain part of the week in order to be there uh, when their children come home from school, but enabling them to uh, have teleconferencing capabilities and, and really utilizing the workforce so it has that type of flexibility. Uh, I believe that women contribute much more to uh, a company in many respects than men because they come with the intelligence IQ, the intellectual, as well as the EQ. And that is critical in terms of assessing and getting uh, the most out of a, of, of a workforce, out of a company, out of, um, a, a, you know, that to me is, is just as valuable. So when you're working with women leaders, um, you need to, uh, there's a wonderful book called The Female Brain by Dr. Luann Brizendine. Mm-hmm. And I give this to many CEOs and many founders and all the men I know, mm-hmm. because women's brains are anatomically wired differently. Mm. And so subsequently, one thing that we could work with women to optimize is understanding that they listen differently. Mm. Women process information differently. They listen differently. And so just that, in order to uh, educate each gender on how better to optimize a processing will be able to help us retain and teach better female leaders and male leaders. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point about, you know, the way men think about these things being different than women, because some research shows that men often don't even see these problems. Uh, there was Absolutely. a study that uh, leanin.org and McKinsey did some time ago, for example, that showed that just... 12% of men think that women have fewer opportunities than men to advance their careers. So what do you think men should do to support more women in becoming leaders? Well, you know, this is a, a very, this is a, a double-sided barrel, uh, this question, because if you ask women who are their mentors, most of them will say men. Hmm. Uh, because and I think we have a real deficit of women leaders reaching out to elevate other women. So in this case, I probably won't just, uh, this, is not, uh, this is not just a male issue. I, I'm not going to just accuse the men of, not, of, of being... Uh, of marginalizing women. I think women do a very good job of marginalizing women. And I always tell w- women that once you reach the top, send the elevator back down for another woman. Right, right, right. Uh, right. Uh, wh- wh- why, is, why is that? Why, why do... Uh, and, and I've heard this from a number of people, that they feel that they are not uh, supported by other women. There's a kind of competitive dynamic that seems to develop, and I wonder why that is. Do you have any insights well, on that? Yes, I think that it takes women that much more effort to make it to the top. And once they get there, they see everyone as a threat. Mm. And uh, with a man, they know that they're bringing different skill sets in order to get to that leadership position. So 
although they feel that they might be knocked out by a man or undermined by a man, they, in order to get to that position, they've had to actually climb up over more men than women. When they get to that position, they feel that their biggest threat is someone who is more like them rather than a man, and it would obviously be another woman with similar skill sets. So they're more threatened. If there were more women being elevated by corporations or in any in any field across the board, you would not have this this constant fear that of replacement. Uh, they would feel that they had a, a community of women to equally uh, support each other's views, uh, and they would not be seen uh, seeing each other as a threat, but they would be seeing each other as a united force. Now, you yourself have uh, the reputation of being a very nurturing leader, have spoken to some of the companies you've invested in. Uh, how have you tried to support women leaders in companies in which uh, structure capital invests. You mentioned the toolbox, for example. Yes, yes. Uh, I work a lot with our male founders uh, in two, in, and, and female founders. First of all, I believe that there needs to be equal representation on boards for our companies. And so that's one way. And those board members, and I said many of these boards, can be in a mentoring position for women in our, the companies we invest. And because I am old, <laughs> I can definitely say that uh, old in the sense of north of 50, and most of our founders are south, um, I have experience. And mm. I truly believe that I learn from them as much as they learn from me. I've navigated a lot of waters and I can, and they feel that they trust me and they can come to me, and I will give them honest views, but with a historical perspective that I feel is invaluable. And that's, and when I reach out to a, a, um, a team member, uh, I will say to them, I'll always say, what's your biggest challenge and how can I help you? I don't believe that venture capitalists or anyone should just strip someone down. I believe that if we if we dismantle a a, a person or problem, um, we need to be able to build it back up even better. And so a lot of VCs and a lot of people in this community see me as being nurturing, but I'm not quite sure nurturing is the right word. I think that I I try to... Uh, I definitely am a tough cookie, and I know people say that about me, but when I have a problem and I present it and I, I, and I take on the challenges of a person, I might be harsh with them, but then I come in with a support of them. This is the problem. This, you're not, I don't think you're handling this the right way. Let, me, let, let us work together to handle it better. I'm here to help you do that as well. So breaking down someone is never a solution. It's breaking down and then building people back up. That's the, that's the solution. And that's what I try to teach. And that's how I support a lot of these women, is I try to 
help them to get to a more self-aware position and then one with more confidence around it. You, you mentioned the toolbox of the five, five things that you do to help, and I'd be very curious to, to see what, know, learn more about what they are. Yes. Well, um, I, the toolbox, I have a video that I had no idea sort of went viral around sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And in that video, I listed three or four specific ways that women can navigate through uh, a, a harassing situation. And I'm happy to tick off the top. Uh, if, a, if a man, anytime a man tries to take you down, uh, you need to see that man not as, a, as, as strength, but I think men who pick on women, so to speak, are actually weak men. Mm. I think they're insecure. So the minute that you change your perception of the person that's bullying you and you see them as weaker than you, you can gain some strength and standing before them. The second is if you have someone who is saying something incredibly inappropriate, for which I have many, I've hundreds of SOSs in mm. that category, you stay on, me- on your own message try to deflect what they've said in terms of just ignore it, wrap up the meeting. Um, I always tell women to stay tenacious but gracious. Mm. I say this all the time. Stay strong, put out your hand, thank you for this meeting, and then leave. The one thing I tell women in the workplace never to do, and I don't care in any situation, never get emotional. Never show an emotional reaction because the moment you do that you lose your power so if uh if you if you need to stand strong and then go to the loo afterwards uh and you can break down there but the minute you let a man uh if you react emotionally they rob your power and that goes for anybody, but women, and it is expected in the workplace, and, and that was the Google article, which I was so offended. Right. Men think that women are emotional. That's how they deal with everything. Well, that's expected. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's not how women are. But if we can limit the way we react emotionally in the workplace, I think that's important. And when I say react, I don't say nurturing is an emotional reaction, I say in a bad, you know, in a negative way. Once again, if you let men see that they got to you, then they've robbed you of your power and confidence. And it's very hard to get that back. Uh, Now, in addition to your role in venture capital, you've also had an active role in publishing. And I wonder if your approach to women in leadership has shaped some of the publishing choices that you've made. Yes, I, I was very, I had one of my companies was a media investment company that also had a literary agency piece. And I was very, and one of the reasons I did that was because I feel that there were, I love words, there was a lot that needed to be communicated. And interestingly enough, you know, we, we now deal with false news and the best way to get your message out is by writing a book where nobody can edit 
yes. <laughs> and rewrite, and, and nothing gets lost in the translation. So I was absolutely honored to represent Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris, mm -hmm. and Meg Whitman, and some wonderful, wonderful uh, female role models for me and for the country. So, yes, um, and also the publishing industry, many of the leadership of, a, of publishing companies are women. Mm -hmm. And so I did learn from them as well. It is definitely a, a female-dominated business, uh, which was a good foundation for me. I've also been in banking, uh, and that was, a, that was difficult. And I've also been in the movie industry as, you know, uh, an executive at two major uh, studios. And that always was difficult. There is no such thing as a woman in an easy position because we were always marginalized to some degree, no matter what industry it is. But what I years ago, someone asked me, I have four amazing children, and I said to them, I... They said, what is the most important uh, aspect of parenting? Um, and how is that, how do you apply that to business? And when I look at a founder and I look at my children, I would say the most important thing we all feel that we should instill in our children are, is you know, unconditional love and wisdom and patience and generosity. And those are critical. Those are critical. But the number one, for me, across the board, is confidence. Mm. So I've amassed tremendous confidence from being in many areas of expertise, of amassing many areas of expertise in different, um, in different industries. That is, that has placed me in a more confident space because the more you know, the more knowledge you have, the more confident you become. That's what I believe. But if you can instill confidence or you can identify confidence in a founder or if you instill in your children, they know that the decisions they're making, okay, are the right decisions in some way. They start out feeling that they can depend on their own intuitive, intuitiveness and, and pro decision processes. And then from there, they can build on that. They should, there is no, there is cocky and there's confidence. You, know, you see a cocky founder, and you know that you'll never be able to help them because they're not open to your insight. But if you see someone confident, you know that you can actually, that is a place that's a very strong foundation that you can build on. So I always look at women, and I say, please, find your confidence. It's not your courage, because you'll never get to courage if you don't have confidence. So that's something that I look at. And I'm very, very self-aware, and I hope other women will be able to become more self-aware to get to their point of confidence, which will move them further along in, in business and actually in life. As you reflect on your own journey uh, across different industries, as you explained, what do you think has been the greatest leadership challenge that you've faced? And how did you deal with it, and what did you learn from it? probably an episode all in itself. <laughs> 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 I, I, my head is you know, trying to wrap around that question. 
Um, I can't I can't think of one particular one. Uh, my for me, I uh, my biggest leadership challenge is being misinformed or or not being prepared with enough information. I am critically worried about passing forward uh, education um, ideas uh, that are not fully uh, matured. Many years ago, I had uh, a gentleman, his name was Linus Pauling. I'm sure you know him. Mm -hmm. He was a well-known scientist. Mm -hmm. This was many, many years ago. And I asked him to please provide me with one pearl of wisdom for for my life as a leader, as a mother, as a, as a friend, um, as a better citizen. And actually, he told me that to please impart what he was going to tell me to a larger audience, but only d a deserving audience. <laughs> so I'm thinking that this might be a good idea right here. Okay. Okay. He said every person has, we, we have many thoughts that come to our head every minute, every second, actually. He said the biggest problem with people is that they do not finish what he called an arc, their arcs of thought. He said that every thought has an arc, but that we are so, uh, we are so, uh, we are forcing ourselves to communicate our thoughts before these thoughts are fully matured. He said, if in fact we were all to complete our arcs of thought, the, the ideas would be so much more impactful when they were communicated, that he felt it would actually create a shift in the world. As a leader, I wonder and I worry that my arts of thought are not fully complete. Mm -hmm. I worry that I'm forcing out immature ideas and solutions to problems. And that's actually one of my biggest concerns is that I've been in many situations where it's been on a board, in a business meeting, in whatever, uh, just working with a founder day to day, and they say, what should I do? Uh, should I do this? Should I do this? And we're all we're working in a highly, as you know, expedi expedited uh, environment. Everything is instant gratification, instant solutions, instant problem-solving um, when, in fact, I think that I need to take more of a beat. And I have been in many, many times thinking, I need to say to someone, I'll get back to you. Mm -hmm. I need to say to someone, let me, give me five minutes to think about this. Or even not say anything and just pause for a moment. So I could actually stack up on a page or probably a whole ledger of times when I prematurely forced my idea out when I should have completed that arc of thought. And that, to me, has probably been my most, uh, my biggest problem. Now, now that you're aware of it, do you pause more often to complete your arcs of thought? 
Actually, I do, and I tell founders to do the same. I'll be sitting in meetings all the time, and I'll say, what do you think, where are the metrics, or what's the inflection point, or how do you feel the adoption? And, and I'll ask different questions, and I'll say to them, don't answer me right this second. Give me, you know, give it a thought. Think a second. Or think five minutes, or get back to me tomorrow. I will really ask them to slow down, and I will do the same. I was just in a situation last night at the Frontiers um, at Stanford Hospital, and I sit on the digital health board there, and I'm actually a dean's fellow at the medical school, and we had a wonderful presentation about the new frontiers in medicine, and Stanford is really right on the forefront of all. And after the presentations, we were at dinners at small tables, and I was asked a question and by uh, one of the chair of the board at Stanford Hospital. And I was, I was ready to answer her fast and furiously because I felt that that was expected of me. But I didn't. I actually paused and for quite a bit. And she, much to her, uh, much to her credit, waited for my answer. She didn't you know, lean in. She didn't make me feel. She actually waited. And I completed the arc of thought, and then I delivered it. And I know she appreciated that. And I feel that that we all need to do that more because I, I do believe what Linus is saying. I do believe if we had more mature thoughts and we didn't feel forced all the time, we actually would have a better world and definitely better leadership. And let me ask you one last question. Uh, how do you define success? For me, personally, um, success is, uh, is anything I can be proud of. That's how I define success. It's, it's not by a certain amount of money. It's not about a certain amount of companies uh, I invest in well. It's can I be proud of what I'm doing? Um, am I proud of this company to be part of building this company? Am I proud that of my children and am I proud of my relationships in this world? Um, to me, that success is, is pride, is a, a sense of pride. Julian, thank you so much for speaking with Knowledge at Warden. Absolutely. It was really my pleasure. I'm such a big fan of you and I, obviously I'm such a big fan of Wharton and all that you're doing to present um, thoughts Uh, so that we can all complete our arc. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.